Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us. Another busy show today. We're going to get a Farm Bill update from the Vice Chairman of the House Agriculture Committee. Pennsylvania Congressman Glenn Thompson will join us as we get closer to what would seemingly be a date for release of the uh, proposal. We heard House Ag Committee Chair Mike Conaway tell us last week when they get that CBO score, they're going to release it. That should be here early in April. We'll get an update on that. Tom Vilsack former Secretary of Agriculture, now President and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council, will join us to tell us about some positive news with China. The U.S. Dairy Export Council has entered into a memorandum of understanding with China's leading food science and technology university to create healthy foods for China's growing population using U.S. dairy ingredients. We'll get the very latest on that. Certainly all the news with China not positive as we have the tariffs announcement retaliation by China uh, included in that list as expected pork comments and reaction from the National Pork Producers Council in just a moment. Also coming up today Jeff Cooper with Renewable Fuels Association. They are not happy at all with EPA and feel very strongly that EPA is hurting the ethanol industry. Jeff Cooper will explain a little bit later on. So some hot issues today right at the top of that list though. Chinese retaliation on U.S. products, including pork, to the uh, tariffs placed by the Trump administration. Joining us now is the Senior Communications Director for the National Pork Producers Council, Jim Monroe. Jim, thanks for joining us. Glad to be here, Mike. Thanks for having me. Okay, last time you were on, it, it was speculation. It was rumored that China would do this. Now they've made the announcement. What's your response? Well, we're certainly disappointed that China has implemented the tariffs. As you you know, exports are extremely critical to the well-being of U.S. pork producers. Over the last 10 years, we have been, the United States has been the the top exporter of pork in the world. Um, We're the most, we're we're the most competitive pork producer, pork producing nation, I should say, in the world. We produce the highest quality, the most affordable, the safest pork in the world and when we can compete on a level playing field we do very very well so obviously uh... facing tariffs of twenty five percent new tariffs of twenty five percent on u.s. pork does not make us very competitive in a in an important u.s. export market we're talking with jim monroe senior communications director for the national pork producers council now china increases tariffs on one hundred twenty eight u.s. products in response to the uh, u.s. tariffs now pork being right up there is Jim just said that 25% tariffs on varieties of pork. Can you tell us which varieties that'll be, Jim? It's virtually all the pork that we export to China. And um, what folks might not realize is uh, just how complementary that market is for U.S. pork producers. And by that, I mean there is significant demand um, in China for what we refer to as variety meats. So pig's feet, certain organs, stomachs, tongue, those types of uh, products are in high demand in China. Uh, They are not uh, in demand in the United States. So having access to a market like that where there is considerable demand for variety meats obviously allows U.S. pork producers to extract more value from the hog. So um, that's, that's one of the many reasons we're very disappointed to see this action taken. We have already seen market reaction. What could this cost U.S. pork producers? Well, it's hard to speculate on that, um, and I wouldn't want to speculate on it at, at this point. Um, but, you know, last year the average value of a hog was $149. Um, more than $53 of that value comes from exports. And obviously China, is, you know, it being the largest pork-consuming nation in the world is a, is a very important market for us. It was the second largest by volume last year. We shipped over a billion dollars of pork to China last year. So any any additional restrictions, um, trade restrictions on that market are clearly going to have a negative impact on U.S. pork producers. We were, you know, you may have seen the news, Mike, that the United States has favorably concluded renegotiation of our free trade agreement with South Korea, which is our fifth largest U.S. pork export market. And that, that renegotiation included, you know, maintaining 
zero tariff-based access to that very important market. So we're hopeful that, um, you know, the administration and and China can can resolve their trade disputes and we can return to, um, uh, you know, more favorable access to, to the Chinese market. Yeah, that's the hope, that this doesn't last a long time, but we do not know at this point. Now, much has already, already been said and made about uh, how China – uh, targeted the products that they were going to retaliate against, uh, uh, looking like uh, had very political messages in the products that they chose. Yeah, and I think um, also not surprising because U.S. pork and U.S. agriculture overall run at a surplus for the United States, and, and they have for some time. And so I think in a um, you know emerging trade dispute like this, it makes pork and other agriculture products likely likely targets has the national pork producers council been in contact with the trump administration uh lately on this issue uh to talk more about the the harm that it uh, can cause the u.s pork industry absolutely we're you know trade even you know before well before this development and probably you know as things evolve Trade is just always at the top of our list. Um, most of the growth of our industry is coming from outside uh, U.S. borders, and um, we're constantly in dialogue with the administration, with members of Congress, to uh, reinforce the importance of expanding export opportunities. It's good for our industry, and it's good for the U.S. economy. We've got 550,000 jobs tied to the pork industry in the U.S., and 110,000 of those jobs are directly tied to exports. So, um, you know, we have our we have what we call our legislative action conference here in D.C. next week. We do that uh, formally two times a year, where pork producers from around the country, our members, gather in D.C. to meet with uh, their representatives on Capitol Hill uh, in Congress. So, um, trade is always at the the you know top of the list in terms of the topics topics we discussed during that week, and you can you can bet it will be next week. Well, you uh, you referenced it there with the jobs and the impact on the economy, because I think this is the story that maybe a lot of people will miss, that this goes beyond just the hit on the pork industry. When something like that happens, it is a ripple effect throughout the economy, something I'm sure that uh, China was fully aware of when they made the decision on which products to uh, target. Absolutely. I mean, when you when you consider the impact, the potential impact on corn and soybeans and the transportation industry and and banking and um, other financial services, um, you know, it, it definitely has an, in, an inhibiting effect. And when you consider that, you know, we've never really seen demand for our product um, to be, you know, to be at the levels that it is today. It's we're we're at record levels. We've got a great product. It's in demand. We are in expansion mode as an industry, but that expansion really depends on um, expanding export markets. So. Uh, that that will be the drumbeat that we we continue to hit. We'll follow this closely. Jim, thank you for the update. We appreciate you being with us. Glad to be here. Thanks, Mike. Jim Monroe, Senior Communications Director for the National Pork Producers Council. Well, as I mentioned at the outset, there is some more positive news between the U.S. and China. We're going to talk with Tom Vilsack, President and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council, about a memorandum of understanding between the U.S. dairy industry and a leading university in China to use more dairy ingredients from the U.S. in Chinese food. That's coming up next. Stay with us on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of MyPillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat. I would flip-flop all night long. I'd wake up with a sore neck or maybe a headache, or I'd feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. Well, when I invented MyPillow, I wanted it so you could adjust the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual, regardless of sleep position. MyPillow will get you into that deep REM sleep faster, and you will stay there longer. It's not how much time we spend in bed. It's how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all my own manufacturing in my home state of Minnesota. I have a 10-year warranty. 
and you can wash and dry my pillow. And here's my best offer ever. Get four my pillows for the price of one. That's right. Get four my pillows, two premium pillows and two travel pillows for the price of one. Order my pillow at 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. Get four my pillows for the price of one. Call 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. Go to MyPillow.com and at checkout, use promo code FARM11. The mighty Prosoro, king of fungicides. Its fast action and long residual make it the keeper of grain quality and yield. The hammer of head and leaf diseases. The number one reducer of scab. When your goal is greater wheat quality and higher yield, use Prosoro fungicide and the crown of higher profit will be yours. Learn more at prosoro.us. Always read and follow label instructions. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. We're proud of our new affiliates. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is Mobile Help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with Mobile Help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button, and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile Help did save my life. No question about that. Call Mobile Help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your planned purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Welcome back. To say China's in the news today, that's an understatement. We just led with the story of Chinese retaliation on U.S. pork. Talked with Jim Monroe with the National Pork Producers Council. But we do have some more positive news between the U.S. and China. Joining us now, former Ag Secretary, now President and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council, Tom Vilsack, good to talk with you again, Tom. It's great to be with you, Mike. Uh, first of all, before we get to the more positive news, your reaction as a former Ag Secretary uh, on, on this news of tariffs and retaliation and impact on agriculture, your thoughts? Well, Mike, I think you know clearly there are some unfairnesses uh, in our current trading system with China that need to be addressed, and uh, it's unfortunate that they're being addressed in a way that is harmful to agriculture generally. My hope would be that um, this sparks some dialogue between the two countries and representatives from the two governments to try to get this matter resolved as quickly as possible. Um, You know, I think uh, there are other nations, uh, the EU, uh, Japan, that have also been harmed by uh, some of the Chinese practices. So perhaps uh, we could work uh, collaboratively uh, to compel China to change its way. Um, but in the meantime, uh, my hope is that we at least have government-to-government dialogue uh, to try to get this thing resolved as quickly as possible because I know that pork producers and others are, are deeply concerned. Now, a more positive development here. The U.S. Dairy Export Council has entered into a three-year, up to a three-year memorandum of understanding with China's leading food science and technology university. This is to create healthy foods for China's population using U.S. dairy ingredients, a significant step. Tell us about it, Mr. Secretary. Well, it's uh, uh, part of our uh, program, Mike, to increase exports in China of U.S. dairy products. Uh, Our belief is that we need greater presence in China, so we have hired more people to work on a full-time basis to promote U.S. dairy in China. Uh, We are doing more promotions in China, but this partnership is particularly unique. It's an opportunity for us to do joint research projects with the university to showcase the uh, versatility, the functionality of U.S. dairy as it relates to ingredients. It's an opportunity for us to uh, sort of work with the companies that are co-located 
at this university uh, that are in the food manufacturing business that could use ingredients that we could produce, uh, whether it's milk protein, whether it's whey, whether it's permeate, whatever it might be, uh, in an effort to try to produce better products, more nutritious products, and products that are specifically designed for the Chinese market. This is an expanding market. This is an opportunity for us, and uh, we want to take full advantage of it. Now, you have a, a strategy in place, a plan to increase U.S. dairy exports to 20% of U.S. milk solids production by the year 2020. Uh, is this part of that effort? Uh, it is, and it's a, it's a part of an ongoing effort in every single market. Uh, we're hiring more people uh, in order for us to be able to have people on the ground working contacts every single day to try to promote additional opportunities for our, our member organizations, the processors and producers that are producing this great product, this safe product, this sustainably produced product, and being able to market it. Uh, so we were at the Gulf Food Show in uh, Dubai, uh, twice the number of exhibitors uh, than the previous year, a more aggressive effort in that market. We've hired additional people in Southeast Asia, uh, and we have additional partnerships with uh, chefs and culinary institutes uh, in Japan and Korea, uh, an opportunity for us also to increase significantly in-store promotions in Mexico, all of this designed to try to increase uh, and expand exports. We're talking with the president and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council, Tom Bilsack. Now, this uh, memorandum of understanding with the university in China uh, you know, when I think of market development, it, it takes many different levels, uh, but a big part of that is a, is building a relationship uh, with that customer, and it would seem like this would go a long ways towards building that relationship through education and cooperation with the university. No, that's absolutely right, Mike. You've got it figured out. Uh, relationships matter, and it's a way of us being able to say, look, we're interested in increasing consumption of dairy generally in China which is going to be helpful to producers in China, but also create additional market opportunities for us. We have a fierce competition in this market uh, with New Zealand and, and, some of, and, and the EU. Both of our competitors have been in this market for far longer, so they have relationships with food service operators. They have relationships with the food manufacturers. So we have to develop. Uh, we have to encourage uh, uh, new relationships. We have to deepen the relationships we have. Uh, so we're working with uh, some of the food service operators, uh, for example, that are operating Pizza Hut uh, chains. Uh, we're taking a look at the formulations that uh, that relate to, uh, to pizza. Uh, the pizza that's consumed in China is a little bit different than the pizza here in terms of the toppings, and that has an impact on the cheese. So we have to be make sure that we're uh, developing the products that provide the taste and the texture that the Chinese want, which may be different than what we want. Uh, so this this connection with the university will allow us to better understand the market. It also gives us a chance long-term to develop relationships with these bright students who someday will be the leaders in government, establishing regulations and tariffs, et cetera, having a better understanding now of the U.S. dairy opportunities. Uh, they may be uh, more helpful. Uh, they will also be the, the business leaders who will be making decisions about where to purchase and what to purchase. So we see this as both a short-term and a long-term strategy to promote more exports uh, in China, uh, and this is being replicated throughout the world. You talked about something I think many times in this country we, we forget or overlook, that when you're doing business with another country, you can't just expect them to eat what we eat or like what we like or in the same way that we like it. You have to understand their tastes and then make sure you can uh, provide the products and the forms and the ways that will meet those uh, tastes and those demands in another country. That's exactly right. Uh, and we have a very good example of that in the infant formula uh, area. We have a certain type, a certain specifications for the development of infant formula in this country, which meet our needs, meet our consumers' needs not necessarily the same as what folks want in China, but we're facing a, a country that has 18 million newborn children every single year. This is a great market opportunity for us, but we have to be willing to be flexible enough, and we have to be willing to change our processing facilities or to create joint ventures with uh, processing facilities in country to be able to produce the product that people want. It, it would be great if everybody said, hey, you've got the right answer and the right approach, but the reality is that's not always the case. So we have to be responsive uh, to the market, and uh, that's kind of what we're going to do. So you entered into this uh, memorandum of understanding last week. Uh, what's the what's the next step in this? Well, the next step is for us to uh, better understand exactly what uh, kind of, uh, uh, of, of opportunities there are and make sure that our members 
the member organizations of U.S. DEC, the 120 members, the processing facilities and operators in our country see this as an opportunity. Uh, so they may be interested in doing a research project. They now have uh, facilities that they can utilize uh, to do that research project. They may want to put on a display, uh, invite some of their customers to, uh, to, to see how U.S. dairy ingredients can be used. This is a place uh, that they now can use. They may want to get to know some of the people and some of the businesses that are currently working in this uh, in this location that we're now partnering with uh, to better understand their needs. So it's it's a tremendous opportunity for us um, to really uh, deepen uh, the relationship and to be able to showcase uh, U.S. dairy. We've got a great story to tell, Mike. We've got a story about a, a, an incredibly stably uh, production. We're going to continue to see production growth. We're, we, we obviously can respond to the safety needs of this market. And we can make the case that we are sustainably producing product from the farm uh, to the factory. Um, and these are things that the Chinese are very interested in, in, in hearing. And, and I think it will help create the kind of relationship, going back to your first set of questions, that creates a dialogue, at least at the local level, at sort of the ground level, that can pot- potentially penetrate and encourage more dialogue at higher levels um, uh, to try to resolve whatever differences we have uh, in other areas of trade. So I said it was a positive development between the U.S. and China on a day that it's uh, certainly w- very welcome news in light of uh, the negative news that we're hearing. Hey, before I let you go, anything new to report on NAFTA, especially on the dairy front? Well, you know, there's some indication that uh, folks are working towards resolving the NAFTA renegotiations in a very quick and orderly way. Um, you know, I, I'm a little bit uh, hesitant to, to embrace the enthusiasm for that because we haven't heard any specific discussion as, as to precisely how the dairy issues have been discussed or if they've been discussed. Um, our hope is that obviously that we preserve what's working in Mexico and that we change what isn't in, in, in Canada. These are very tough uh, requests that we're making of the Canadians, and so I'm keeping my fingers crossed that if this is renegotiated, if there is a deal, that it improves that Canadian market. Uh, Otherwise, I think uh, producers will be a bit disappointed in the whole process. Always good to talk with you, former Secretary of Agriculture and now President and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council, Tom Vilsack. Thank you for your time. You bet, Mike. Take care. All right. So some positive news today, and that memorandum of understanding with the Chinese University, as he explained, uh, can really open some doors, create better relationships. Well, we really need them in light of these bumpy, uh, turbulent uh, trade times right now with China. Uh, Develop those relationships and uh, help compete in that market with New Zealand, such a key market for all of our ag products and dairy being one of them. All right, coming up next, what's the latest on the Farm Bill? We're about to get that proposal formally introduced. What about Democratic opposition over the nutrition title? We're going to talk with the Vice Chairman of the House Agriculture Committee, Pennsylvania Congressman Glenn Thompson, joins us next for an update on the Farm Bill on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. We're ready for our four-season sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no. We'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym. My gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her Four Seasons garden room. Weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait. A family hub. Yeah. Yeah. No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. To find out more, call toll-free 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477. Call 800-988-4477 today. Time for a market check. Here on Adams on Agriculture, I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Wheat futures making a move into positive territory on a Tuesday. U.S. winter wheat appears to be starting off the growing season in the worst conditions in over a decade. That according to USDA's first weekly crop progress report issued on Monday. Winter wheat rated only 32% in good, excellent shape. 
well below 51% at the same time last year. It's the lowest good to excellent rating since 2002. In the wheat futures, an hour into the trading day, 14 to 18 cents higher in Kansas City wheat, 8 to 10 better in Chicago wheat, Minneapolis spring wheat, 7 to 8 and a fraction higher. Traders continue to work through USDA's recent report forecasting smaller than expected acreage of U.S. corn and soybeans this season. Soybeans trending five to six higher. Corn futures one to two and a fraction better. Soybean bears use Monday's intraday gains to 1060 and a half as a selling opportunity. The bulls and the bears fighting for the short-term trend control. We've got resistance at 1060 and a half, support at 1009 and a quarter on that May contract. In corn, the 20-day moving average is support at 383. As long as that holds firm, May corn bulls should retain the near-term technical edge. For livestock at the Merck in lean hog futures, more minus signs on this Tuesday. China, of course, saying over the weekend it would start to levy Announced duties of 25% on American pork imports, 70 to $1.40 lower in lean hogs, live cattle a dime to 25 cents lower, 30 to 47 cents lower in feeder cattle futures about an hour into the trading day. Outside markets, the Dow up 50 points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson. If you or your family love the freedom of swimming any time of year, if you love sharing good times and making great memories, or if you want one of the best total body workouts ever, then it's time to discover the three C's of your very own endless pool. The first C is convenience. Imagine swimming year-round in your own private swimming pool, installed indoors or out, just steps away. The second C is comfort. With sculpted spa seats and your own adjustable temperature, you can easily escape the stress of your day. And the third C is cost. Your endless pool is an affordable luxury at a fraction of the cost of a regular pool. And here's a bonus C, choice. Because when you call for your free endless pool idea kit, you'll receive information on our full line of pools to suit your budget and location. Call now for your free information, 800-717-0734, 800-717-0734. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And welcome back. Time for another Farm Bill update. If you've been with us here on AOA in the last few days, you've heard from ranking member of the House Agriculture Committee, Colin Peterson. You've heard from Chairman Mike Conaway. You've heard from another member of the committee, Rodney Davis from Illinois. Today we hear from the Vice Chairman of the House Ag Committee, Pennsylvania Congressman Glenn Thompson. Congressman, thanks for joining us on Adams on Agriculture. Well, Mike, it's a pleasure and honor to be with you today. What can you tell us? Uh, last we heard from Chairman Conaway, who was waiting for the CBO, CBO score to uh, move this uh, proposal forward on the farm bill. How close are we? Well, I, I think we're close, and I think we need to be. As, as you know, the you know the the farm income has been down for uh, at least four years, and quite frankly, the the farm bill is probably the single most important piece of federal legislation that we do uh, to make sure that we get agriculture, federal agriculture policy right. And if we're doing that right, we wind up with uh, a robust rural economy. And we're far from that right now. And I think that's the, uh, you know, that's what's motivating us to, to be proactive. You know, normally, Mike, if we'd be talking about the farm bill, it would be six months, uh, nine months, 12 months past the expiration date. And we're actually, this, this current farm bill does not expire until September 30th, or I guess October 1st, technically. And so we're being proactive because we, you know, we've got some needs that we need to address. Given the calendar and the busy schedule of Congress and the big issues that are out there and the disagreement between Republicans and Democrats in the House and in your own committee on the nutrition title, doesn't that that makes that September 30th date seem a lot closer? Well, I, I hope not. You know, without a robust rural economy, uh, you know, the, the large majority of the population of this country, which live in urban suburban areas, are going to wake up in the cold, dark, and hungry. And and that so there is a, uh, you know, there is a uh, motivation to do this. But I also take issue with the fact that 
some of my colleagues that perhaps just don't know they've they've had access to the information through uh, through their leadership um, about the nutrition title. And in addition to be the vice chair of the agriculture full agriculture committee, I do chair the nutrition subcommittee. I can tell you, Mike, there's nothing in this farm bill that we this proposal that we're going to be uh, hopefully uh, marking up here. I would hope within weeks that hasn't been thoroughly vetted over the course of four four years, over 30 specific hearings related to nutrition. It's uh, you know it, it it improves the program integrity. It, it modernizes the program. It it does uh, it promote uh, healthy foods, and quite frankly, it. You know, for the for the individuals, 35% of the folks who are on the SNAP program specifically are there because of financial reasons. You know, the other 65 uh, 65% are over the age of 65 and older, or under the age of 18, or or quite frankly have uh, a person with disabilities. But for the 35% who are there temporarily because of economic distress, they're unemployed, they're underemployed, maybe they've been stuck in poverty for maybe for generations. This is an exciting bill. It doesn't do things to people. It does things for people in terms of providing them an on-ramp to opportunity. So while they're, they're receiving um, the nutritional support that they and their families need, uh, it also provides them an opportunity to, uh, for uh, education and training. Now, we invest over a billion dollars and guarantee a training slot in every state for an individual who really needs um, – you know, they need that on-road the opportunity that really only comes through uh, skills-based education. Uh, there's probably today somewhere around close to 4 million jobs are sitting open and available. Uh, we have a skills gap. We're not talking about somebody going for a four-year degree. We're talking about a certificate, uh, specialization, a little bit of training. You know, to be able to, you know, to be able to seek that, that, that promise of greater opportunity that our country provides. And so I'm you know, I'm very. Uh, I think as my colleagues take the opportunity to find more and more about this nutrition title, it, it, it's um, to me it uh, it's it's pretty pretty exciting uh, legislation that we're looking to advance on behalf of American families. We're talking with Pennsylvania Congressman Glenn Thompson, Vice Chair of the House Agriculture Committee. Well, there are certainly two very different narratives being given on this farm bill the one you just explained and then the other side what we're hearing is all about people being kicked off the food stamp program money uh, cut from the program you're talking about reinvesting they're talking about it's going to kick people out and leave them without anything so obviously there seems to be quite a distance between the two sides where do you find the common middle ground here I think in being informed, um, I'm, you know, uh, unfortunately, maybe some of my uh, colleagues have not uh, been provided uh, access through their leadership to the information that was shared uh, last year, in the fall of last year. With, and again, there's nothing in this new nutrition title uh, that they haven't heard in uh, all of the hearings. Very, uh, the mo- I'm very uh, proud of uh, Chairman Conway. This has probably been the most uh, transparent process for a farm bill, um, seeking, you know, the number of hearings, uh, uh, the information that's been there. And, you know, and for example, the, the workforce solutions, which tends to be at the heart. I mean, we're talking about folks who are, who are able-bodied. So, you know, people without disabilities, uh, we're actually, uh, wouldn't be quite 35% of enrollees that would be given this uh, on-ramp opportunity. Because if you're a single parent of, uh, you know, children that are not in school yet, uh, you would be exempted. I would hope you'd have the opportunity if you would choose to pursue, obviously, uh, getting the type of education and training, uh, the skills-based education, to be able to to get a a family-sustaining job, because that's what you need. Um, You know, the only people that would be leaving the program would be those who would self-select not to um, pursue that opportunity, but they certainly would have the choice to do that again, it ex- excludes people with dis- who are disabled. Excludes those who are younger than age 18, those who are 65 and, and older. Um, uh, at the same time, it expands the base. You know, we have some of our military. Uh, uh, well, basically, it, it adjusts, uh, increases the minimum benefit for households with one or two members. We uh, uh, it addresses an issue that's near and dear to my heart as a as an Army dad. Uh, 
you know, we have some who have joined the military late in life. When they come in, they come in with a spouse and children. That's pretty tough to make it on a private salary whenever you, you know, come in in your late 20s and 30s with a family. And so this actually addresses that issue. They're, in the past, we would uh, their basic housing allowance, since they with a family they tend to live off base, uh, would uh, would disqualify them. It would count against their eligibility. We provide a, you know, we, this this bill actually tries to take the first steps in a, in addressing that. It, uh, uh, you know, it just uh, you know. So I I'm hoping as more and more information. I'm looking forward to be being uh, when I'm back in Washington next week. Uh, uh, going to be uh, spending more time on the floor talking about sharing the information that's that's in here. I uh, I am hoping that uh, as more and more people see what uh, sees the opportunity to actually read and see what is in this nutrition title, that, that there's going to be a, a strong consensus that uh, you know we're just uh, doing some really good things, not to people, uh, but uh, but for folks. Beyond the nutrition title. Uh whether it's crop insurance or ARC PLC, what else is in there that we should know? Any significant changes to the current bill? Well, it's certainly uh, the things that have been working well uh, are going to continue to uh, uh, to be there. Uh, crop insurance is so incredibly important. You know, farming is one of those uh, few industries that's so weather sensitive, and and um, so we want to make sure that that safety net that that farmers are able to buy into and be a part of is is there. We've all seen what uh, extreme weather uh, conditions uh, can do. Um, uh, certainly looking to uh, strengthen the, the forestry title. Well, we had a, uh, when the last Farm Bill was written, I actually was subcommittee chair for conservation and forestry, so I worked on the conservation programs. Uh, that title, I also worked on the forestry title. And we're seeing, uh, you know, for areas, um, I'm from Pennsylvania, Penn's Woods, uh, certainly much of our uh, northern uh, tier of our country and, and the southern part, we, we have a strong forest uh, um, industry, and we need that to be strong because that's how we keep our forests healthy through regular active management. And I think we're going to see, we're going to build on the successes of the, of the last and the forestry title and, uh, um, and make that even, even stronger. Um, uh, there's, uh, I think there's just a, there's a lot here. We, there's been no, no cuts, uh, uh, any kind of efficiency savings, um, and it's hard to argue about doing things smarter and more efficiently. Uh, but where we've been able to gather uh, efficiency, uh, where those dollars are being reinvested uh, back into the farm bill, and in the end, I, you know, I, uh, you know, I, I think it will help us achieve that that purpose. I, I see, and at least I identify with, and, and uh, uh, helping to. Uh, achieve a robust rural economy well we look forward to that proposal coming out soon and good luck in trying to to mend the bridges and uh solving this impasse on the nutrition part of it so this thing can move forward thank you so much mike uh, my pleasure it's great to talk with you we look forward to talking again thank you sir pennsylvania congressman glenn thompson he is vice chair of the house agriculture committee so They've got some work to do. They've got to be able to get this bill out of committee with the differences in the nutrition title. You've got to get it passed on the floor of the House, which will be challenging. And then you're going to have a completely different version, especially when it comes to the nutrition title on the Senate side when the bill comes out of there that you'll have to uh, you know, work through in conference committee. So that's why I say that count September 30th, when you take all that into consideration, September 30th, also, just all of a sudden seems very, very close, and it shows it how uh, uh, condensed this calendar is going to be and how much work they have to do in now still a short period of time. But we'll see what they can get done. So that's the latest on Farm Bill. Now, what about the latest EPA? EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt in the news quite a bit, not, uh, not the type of headlines he would like to see. Well, the Renewable Fuels Association not real happy with EPA these days either. We'll talk about it next on AOA, Adams on Agriculture.
What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is Mobile Help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with Mobile Help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile Help did save my life. No question about that. Call Mobile Help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your plan purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day. Because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of my pillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat. I would flip-flop all night long. I'd wake up with a sore neck or maybe a headache, or I'd feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. Well, when I invented my pillow, I wanted it so you could adjust the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual regardless of sleep position. My pillow will get you into that deep REM sleep faster and you will stay there longer. It's not how much time we spend in bed. It's how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all my own manufacturing in my home state of Minnesota. I have a 10-year warranty and you can wash and dry my pillow. And here's my best offer ever. Get four my pillows for the price of one. That's right. Get four my pillows. Two premium pillows and two travel pillows for the price of one. Order my pillow at 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. Get four my pillows for the price of one. Call 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. Go to mypillow.com and at checkout use promo code FARM11. Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub? They require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance call to receive a free dvd and brochure and find out how you can own a thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day right now they're offering zero percent apr financing with approved credit and a one thousand dollar savings coupon including free delivery free chemicals and a cash discount and with bottles starting at four thousand nine hundred ninety five dollars there will never be a better time to own a thermospas hot tub so call now and ask about this limited time offer call thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free dvd and brochure that's 800-991-5852 thermospas hot tubs designed to improve your life call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of zero percent apr financing all right guys we're ready for our four season sunroom and daddy's gonna get a rec room with refreshments oh no we'll be sleeping under the stars mom what about the one with you know the fun nice try little bro it's a gym my gym hey grandma's getting her four seasons garden room weather tight and still like being outdoors maybe a living room oh no wait a family hub yeah no matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. More reasons for Four Seasons now. To find out more, call toll-free 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477 today. 
Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Welcome back. Well, obviously, EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt is in the news quite a bit and in ways that he'd rather not be. Obviously, a lot of people very critical of him and different things going on at EPA. So that'll be an ongoing story. Uh, A group that is also upset, concerned with EPA and some of the actions of the agency is the Renewable Fuels Association. Some different reasons and some of the other stories that are out there. But let's get an update from Jeff Cooper with Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me, Mike. You have made a very strong uh, comment concerning this EPA that uh, the agency is hurting the ethanol industry. Explain that. Well, we feel like we're getting uh, duped, I guess, by the by the the Environmental Protection Agency uh, with regard to how they're enforcing the renewable fuel standard here in the last uh, several months. Um, we were obviously very pleased as an industry in, in late 2016 when EPA finally uh, set the renewable fuel standard requirements at the statutory level of 15 billion gallons for, for 2017. Uh, they did so again in, 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 uh, in 2017 for the 2018 compliance year. So the Trump administration's first foray into setting the standards we thought uh, was, was good, and we saw that 15 billion gallon number, which is what we've been after really for several years. So we thought things were in a pretty good place with the renewable fuel standard. But, Mike, over the past several months, we've been learning um, of certain actions that EPA has been taking that's really gnawing away uh, and and eroding demand for uh, both ethanol and corn. And it's happening very quietly and kind of in the dark. And and we're learning about these uh, these actions kind of after the fact. Um, and there's really been no opportunity for the industry or for farmers to to weigh in and and publicly comment on some of these actions that EPA is taking that are effectively cutting the RFS uh, from that 15 billion gallon level to something lower than 14 billion gallons. It's kind of like, Jeff, with all the focus on what would the Trump administration do with the RFS and then uh, now the news that, you know, it looks like maybe they'll kick it over to Congress, which is where Mm -hmm. it's supposed to be dealt with anyway. But while all that's going on, we're reminded now that there are other ways to to manipulate the RFS through the agency level. And that's what's going on, you're saying here now. That's right, and we've you know we've been very focused on on uh, trying to keep EPA honest and and making sure that they're not uh, misusing or abusing their their statutory waiver authority the way they did several years ago. We we took uh, EPA to court over uh, their abuse of that waiver authority for the 2014 through 2016 rules. Uh, we won that case, and and so as a result, like I said, these last few years we, we we've been encouraged. Um, that EPA has said, yep, uh, we've got to set that number at 15 billion gallons. Uh, but very quietly and, and uh, somewhat subversively, uh, what we're learning about now is EPA is granting small refineries um, exemptions from their RFS compliance obligations. Uh, that provision has, has been around for years, but EPA has always been very careful and very judicious um, not to give free passes. Uh, but what, the, what, what we're seeing now is, is uh, EPA is, in fact, um, kind of waving small refiners uh, through and, and, and exempting them from their RFS requirements, uh, and that has the effect of, of lowering the, the RFS uh, mandates. Um, we, we learned in November of last year that EPA exempted 14 small refiners uh, from their 2016 requirements, and that was basically half a billion gallons uh, lopped off the top, um, and then you know, then we later learned that EPA is is uh, you know has a settlement agreement with the bankrupt Philadelphia Energy Solutions refinery, and they're basically uh, ignoring or or allowing uh, that refinery to ignore its a, a large chunk of its compliance obligations for the past few years. So all of these things are eating away um, at the RFS level of 15 billion gallons that Congress intended. And like I said, we end up somewhere, you know, lower than 14 billion gallons when it's all said and done. Yeah, so it may not be one big shot at the or more gradual, and as you mentioned, uh, kind of uh, 
under-the-radar type moves that are taking place that uh, harm the RFS and the, and the industry. Jeff, uh, right now a lot of focus on greenhouse gas emissions and uh, uh, what the EPA is going to do with, uh, with vehicles and uh, make changes from the Obama administration. How does this impact ethanol? Right. Right. Well, yeah, just yesterday, Mike, uh, EPA came out and said it, it has determined that the fuel economy and tailpipe greenhouse gas emissions uh, standards that the Obama administration finalized for 2022 through 2025 are too stringent, and, and uh, the, the, the Pruitt uh, EPA doesn't think that the automakers can meet those standards um, at a reasonable cost. Uh, and so they are going to be initiating a new rulemaking process to uh, to relax those standards uh, for future fuel economy and, and emissions requirements. Um, you know, throughout this process, which really, like I said, dates back to the Obama administration, uh, throughout this this uh, this process, we have been um, commenting uh, regularly to EPA and meeting regularly with the agency to remind them that fuel economy depends not just on the vehicle technology but also on the fuel and there's a real role for ethanol to play in helping automakers achieve fuel economy requirements because we're the highest octane uh, lowest carbon uh, uh, fuel additive on the market and, and so if you increase the amount of ethanol that's in gasoline to, to say 25 or 30 percent um, you're getting that really high octane boost that allows automakers to, to increase the compression ratios on their engines, um, so we're getting more fuel economy uh, uh, from that fuel and from that engine and lower emissions, and that helps these, the, the OEMs, the manufacturers, uh, meet their uh, requirements. Um, so, you know, EPA is going to embark on a new rulemaking, uh, and we're going to be reminding the agency once again uh, not to forget the important role that high-octane fuels like ethanol can play in, in meeting those goals long-term. Well, different administrations, some of the same challenges with EPA, right? Yeah, I, th I think it's always safe to assume that uh, that if you're in the ethanol business or, or in agriculture, uh, period, uh, we're always going to have our hands full with, with uh, whatever EPA is throwing at us, regardless of who's sitting in the White House. Jeff, as always, thanks for being with us. All right. Thank you, Mike. Take care. Jeff Cooper, Executive Vice President for the Renewable Fuels Association. So some, these are some big issues, whether it's uh, Chinese retaliation on U.S. pork and other products or the Farm Bill or the RFS. We'll keep you updated right here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Have a great day, everyone. The mighty Prosoro, king of fungicides. Its fast action and long residual make it the keeper of grain quality and yield, the hammer of head and leaf diseases, the number one reducer of scab. When your goal is greater wheat quantity and higher yield, use Prosaro fungicide, and the crown of higher profit will be yours. Learn more at prosaro.us. Always read and follow label instructions.